Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to our Diversity Dimension podcast. This series is brought to you by Graduate Management Admission Council and uh, is created in collaboration with Poets and Quants with support from our academic colleagues and industry partners. The Diversity Dimension is a six-episode podcast series that explores critical themes shaping diversity, equity, and inclusion in graduate management education today. And I have a special guest today from Emory University's Goisweta Business School, Ama Fofi, who is the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Emory's Goisweta School. Ama became director in August of 2021. She had spent five years at NYU University before joining the Goisweta School in early 2016 as the Program Manager of MBA Programs. Ama, welcome. Hi, how are you? Very good. Now, one of the things that really struck me about uh, Goizueta and diversity is the fact that the school has recently added a new DEI concentration in full-time MBA programs. Did you have a role in that? I did. It was a, a long Hall effort on my part, um, part of a lot of our faculty here at the business school. We had the full support of our dean of the full-time MBA program, um, Dean Brian Mitchell, as well as the dean of this business school at the time, um, Dean interim dean Karen said it all. And so the process was kind of one that I think ended up snowballing into something bigger than what it was. It, it was on the heels of one of our own faculty, Professor Erica Hall, creating a course called uh, bias in the workplace. And so when this course was created, it had a lot of buzz around it. And so we realized very quickly that while our full-time MBA students were very interested in the content of this course, there was a lot of interest for this course outside of the business school as well in, in Emory College. And so when we were creating this course and it had a, several different sections, so there's a section for our full-time MBA students, there's a section for our BBA students, and there's even a section for our students in the college who are looking to earn their ethnic and race requirement as part of their college requirements. And so there was a lot of buzz around that. And so what happened was while that was happening simultaneously, the department for my department was being created. And so we were working with some of our other faculty to say, hey, let's take a look at some of your course content, your syllabi and what you want to do with the class. Is there a way that you'd be interested in incorporating more DEI things into your course? Or do we need to take a look at your course and it's doing some of these things already so that we can create this specific concentration? Because um, I think at that time we knew some of our faculty who were doing a lot of this in their current classes. It just wasn't in a structured way. And so after sitting down with several faculty members, um, we were able to create a list of courses that would apply for this concentration. Yeah, terrific. Now, for many business schools, the role of a director of DEI is relatively new. And I wonder how you approach the job, because I think a lot of other directors are interested in knowing, you know, how do you carve out the responsibilities? How do you become effective in this role as an advocate for diversity and inclusion? And what's your perspective on that? I, I'm not going to lie to you. It is not a walk in the park. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that I understand that I'm privileged in the fact that I have a very unique situation here at Gazweta. I have been here for about five years. And so I've worked in the program management, um, in the program offices, the 
the majority of my time here. And before, after I did that, I actually worked in the registrar's office. So I had a very unique relationship with our faculty, our students, and our staff. And I think the relationship that I had then um, allowed me to ha have my ears on the ground, essentially, and to learn from our students, learn from our faculty, and learn from our staff in, in terms of what the GBS community views as diversity, equity, inclusion. And so when I came into this role, one of the first things that I did was just kind of take a step back and look at my experience and some of the things that I learned along the way from our faculty, from our students across all of our programs um, and from our staff in terms of what the needs were, what they felt like our needs were. Maybe we were lacking, we could do a little bit better. And it was actually a great way for me to lay out a path because one of the things that I think I heard consistently um, over and over time again was that our students were very loud and uh, boisterous about this. They were looking for more diversity um, in the class content. And so for me, right. kind of, it was like, okay, well, there's all these avenues that we can take, but this is clearly one of the avenues that everyone's screaming the loudest about. So let's see what we can do about that. And so it was a very unique situation where I had the feedback from our students and I had a very unique relationship with a lot of our faculty because they knew me in a different capacity, right? So they knew me as the person who was managing their MBA program in some way, shape or form, where I've traveled with some of the faculty. And so I think, you know, kind of approaching the topic um, with them, wasn't as difficult as I think some of my colleagues in other schools have had to deal with. And I think it's because we'd already built that relationship of trust. And so one of the ways we were thinking about what's the best way to tackle this is we realized that outside of anecdotes from students, we didn't really have any data surrounding this. And we know how important that is. And so I worked with my supervisor, um, Dr. Jill Perry Smith, she's a senior associate dean for strategic initiatives here uh, at the business school and DEI is under her umbrella. And she and I worked together doing some research with some other schools. I have a close friend at Columbia. She and I talked back and forth about what the possibility would be of creating some inclusive classroom questions on our course evaluations to help us better evaluate what's happening in the classroom, the student you know, culture and, and, and climate. Because I think that was a good way for us to let our faculty know what our students are actually feeling in the classroom. And we have some data to go behind that. And so um, in doing that, it was, there was a lot of, you know, it, it's a scary thing for everybody, right? So it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm even doing a good job. Like, what does that look like? And I think our students are pretty vocal and in a way that I think the fear of like, I think whenever you tell somebody that you're going to have an evaluation question that evaluates them, the automatic thought is never like, oh, I'm doing wonderfully. I'm doing great. This is going to be amazing. I think people naturally go to the fear side first. Hands down, it's like, okay, gosh, yeah. I don't know what you folks are going to find, but I just know it's not going to be great. But when we did our pilot, I mean, the data showed that as anxiety-filled and anxious as people were, we were not really doing that bad, right? Our students more had concerns about you know, maybe they wanted to see more diverse protagonists in some of their cases, yeah. right? There was yeah. nothing that was yeah. glaring out. And I think that that doing the pilot and giving some of the actual feedback from our students to let them know what their experiences were in the classroom was monumental because I think it let everybody take a deep breath and say, okay, maybe I'm not doing as bad as I thought I was doing. And yeah. these are the asks, maybe we can work with your office to figure out how we can create cases or find cases with more diverse protagonists. You know, I think it really opened up the door for our faculty to be more open and say, hey, I think I might need some help here. Can you help me? 
Right. And and so case development may be one area where you can, you know, get get some leverage on this. I I always thought that Coy's Better was a was a place that was naturally uh, diverse and inclusive. Uh, part of this is, you know, your uh, your leadership. Part of this is your location in Atlanta, a very progressive city. And part of it is your student body, which is so long been diverse, I think. So in a way, not that there's not heavy lifting, because there's heavy lifting whenever uh, someone tries to change anything for the better. But uh, I think that you're in a place where a lot of the lifting has been done naturally. Am I right? I think naturally, because it's part of our culture already, thankfully. Um, You know, I think when we when we're in the admission stage and we're looking at our student body composition, our admissions team is pretty good at making sure that we have a great mix of students from different backgrounds, not just socioeconomic backgrounds and what they're going to provide in the classroom space. And so that is one of the things that I think our students really pride themselves on is that they have the opportunity to interact with students that they normally would not have they may not have been in an environment where they were going to have access to this, right? And so in terms of that makeup, and I think you're right, being in the city of Atlanta is super helpful because our students automatically are tapped in to the city of Atlanta and all the diverse things that we have here. We have partnerships with um, Atlanta Tech Village, we're working with Goody Nation and things of that nature, which are exposing our students automatically to the diversity of the world that they're about to jump into. And so I think it's part of one of the things that makes it easier to do, a little bit easier to do the job um, because you have support around you in terms of students, in terms of faculty and in terms of staff. So it's all, we're all kind of in this for the greater good. And it does make it a little bit easier to make progress because it's like you can shoot an idea out there and instead of everyone kind of cringing like, oh, no, I don't know if this is going to happen. People are like, okay, talk to me a little bit more about it. Let's talk through. Let's let's figure this out. And so it does make it um, easier than I know some of my other colleagues uh, have had in terms of making progress and influencing change. Yes. Now, Alma, in your experience, I wonder what types of programs or initiatives have you seen work best either at your own school or other schools, uh, given the benchmarking that you've done? It's it's a, it's a mixed bag. I think the yes. two highest for me are student-led initiatives with mm. you know, a little bit of uh, faculty, staff support. Um, so I started here at our uh, business school, a student diversity advisory council. And so for me, my biggest goal, goal was I knew that as an administrator, I can ask a thousand and one times, how do you feel about the culture here? Do you feel like you belong here? What is the feeling of inclusion? And I I think at the end of the day, I'm still looked at as like the authority. <laughs> and so because of that, I'm, I'm not a thousand percent sure that we get the most authentic responses. And so one of the things that I tasked the Student Diversity Advisory Council with, which is made up of students from all of our programs, from BBA, our Master's in Analytical Finance, all of our programs, it's a... It's a huge group. Um, And I I tasked them with saying, you know, if you're asking these questions to your peers, what do you think that they're going to respond with? Right. And so because they're able to socialize it and get a little bit more information. So I found that even when we talk about programming, what we as a uh, as faculty and staff may think is profound programming and we will have every speaker available and every panel available, the students don't necessarily feel that the same way. And so in their minds, they're like, I'm in class all day. I've got to read all of these cases. 
I have to listen to all these people talk to me. I don't, I'm not necessarily enthused about going to another panel or reading another book. And so our students have really been able to come up with innovative ways to kind of educate their cohort and their classes outside of the business school setting, which is what I think makes it really unique. They're finding things to do in the city of Atlanta that are culturally based, that are allowing the connections and the conversations to happen to really affect change. And so I think one having our students lead a lot of that with with support from us um, is great. And it's probably very, it is very impactful for the student population. But I also think um, creating a space where people feel safe has been paramount. And so I think a lot of times we think about having panels and conversations about very touchy topics, but because they're touchy, you don't, you're not necessarily guaranteed, you know, an audience. And I think having, trying to cultivate smaller spaces where people can be themselves and ask very authentic questions has really served to work well, because I think what's happening is people are kind of coming out of their shell a little bit, right? Nobody wants to be the person who asked a very insensitive question, but didn't know that it was insensitive in front of a large group of people, right? And so, We've created like small conversation groups for people to start have these thing, having these things. One of the biggest, I think, eye-openers for me was when I first started this role, we have something that we do here called the Common Read, which is basically a common learning experience across our entire business school. We have our faculty, staff, students, everybody's involved. We all are reading the same book. And then we end with a culminating event. And that, that year, the book that we read was Some of Us by Heather McGee. And uh-huh. in addition to everybody reading this this book, we had small group conversations across the business school. So you could be in a group with the dean, one of our faculty members, a BBA student, an executive MBA student. So they were all mixed up, right? And so we had these conversation groups. And I think if I'm, I will speak for my group, particularly, I had faculty, staff, BBA students, and MBA students in my group. And it was such an engaging conversation because we were able to learn things about people's experiences and their differences and how they were shaped to be who they are today that they never would have had access to. And so some of the feedback we received is that, you know, this was amazing because I feel like I am more able to actually identify with people and some of the things that they may or may not have gone through that I never would have had access to. So we learned that that space was truly important for people. And that was a staff led initiative and so staff and faculty led initiative. And so things like that, I think it's just a combination of those two things, but I think it it starts with creating a space where people feel like they can ask the, the questions that they may not feel comfortable asking, or they don't even know how to ask. Right. So I think programming is one, the key way to go. And I think programming for different groups of people, you know, what really resonates with them. Like our faculty love programming where we have other um, experts and panelists uh, and other faculty members from visiting faculty from other uh, schools and institutions coming in and departing knowledge. That's what works best for them. For our staff, our staff love to have conversations and being able to be in a safe space and have com- and, and talk about some of the things that they're uncomfortable with or need some guidance on or just want to feel more included in. And for our students, some of them are like, yeah, uh, we'll go to some of the faculty staff things, but we're not going to be as vulnerable as we would be with our own student leaders. And so it's it's kind of like you shoot the dice to figure out who what works for each um, different population. And then once you figure that out, you just kind of stick with that. Yeah, it does sound, however, that your students have really taken ownership of DEI. And I, I wonder in terms of the broad faculty ownership of DEI efforts, where you are and what else can be done to encourage it at other schools. 
So as I mentioned before, I think I have a unique situation because I knew, you know, most people are coming into a role where they're new to the role, they're new to the institution. And because I've been here five years, I I have a little bit of privilege there um, because I knew most of our faculty and I had some form of relationship with them. And so I understood very early on, even from before I was in this role, that um, faculty often are dancing a very fine line, right? And so it's, I have this content, I need to teach it. I, I may or may not have said something I wasn't sure about. I think I may have made somebody uncomfortable, but I don't know. And so I recognized very early on that our faculty did have a desire to be better, right? They just needed some help and some guidance as we were going down that path. And so I think when I was announced in this role, one of the first things that I did was I reached out to the faculty that I had like the strongest relationships with. And I was like, hey, I'm in this role. Here's what it means for you. I'm here as a, as a source of support. Um, if you have any questions or things that you want to ask about your class or just in general, I'm here, right? Letting people know that there is someone designated to be there as a sense of support, ask any questions, shoot any ideas off of. That's one of my main goals here, right? And so in addition to doing that, we understood that we were in the process of trying to make um, faculty feel more comfortable with creating a more inclusive classroom. And so we had um, three sessions where we had experts come in. Um, We had students provide, our Student Diversity Advisory Council provide us with some um, scenarios about situations that they've experienced in class. And we had these sessions with our faculty to better prepare them to be to create a more inclusive classroom, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. And so we think kind of talking through some of these situations, even giving small small things of advice, words of advice where it's like, hey, let's let's change some wording in your syllabus to be more inclusive, or here's how you can put a statement in there that's or a, a random um, survey in there so that you can get anonymous feedback. So I think providing our faculty with a lot of different avenues, not one way to do it, and letting them decide what works best for them in their class was one of the ways where we 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 created comfort around creating more inclusive spaces in classrooms and so they know like i've had faculty who were like hey walking down the hallway i had a question because something happened in class and i'm not sure how to handle it do you have time and that's what i want right like i want there to be a person designated that people feel comfortable with to say, hey, I don't know. I'm not sure. Can you help me navigate this? So that means that they want to be better. Right. And so for me, that is success. Yeah, it's, it sounds like that more supportive and positive approach has to be very helpful in overcoming either conscious or, or subconscious resistance or reluctance to DEI efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that there has been on occasion, some reluctance or resistance, right? Mm-hmm. As always, I feel like that's part of the norm. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, with every every new and change, thing that changes what people do or just makes them more conscious about what they need to do uh, is going to be resisted by some at least. Yeah. And I imagine that that's a key part of your job dealing with that. I wonder also, you know, what what you and other DEI leaders are doing and can do to make a difference in general in grant, graduate management education. I, my first rule of thumb, never has anything been accomplished by forcing people to do something they don't want to do or that they are not ready to do. That has just never worked for me in my personal life. And I haven't seen it work in a way that, you know, is a positive way. And so my first rule of thumb is I always meet people where they are. And I tell that to my friends and colleagues um, in the field as well, because it's 
much easier to meet someone where they are and say, hey, I understand that you're not all the way at the finish line yet. You're not ready to be there, right? But let's figure out what makes you feel comfortable. Let's meet you where you are and see how we can slowly move the the lever a little bit to get you to a more comfortable place. It's baby steps. Everybody doesn't progress at the same speed and everybody's never going to progress at the same speed. So for me, what I really pride myself on is not coming in and saying, hey, we're going to flip this entire table. These are the new rules. These are the new circumstances. Everybody has to follow suit. It's more work, but it makes more sense to me for us to start meeting people where they are, right? Because at that point, you're you're growing with someone, you're giving them comfort, you're building trust. And so when you do those things, I think it's easier to move people along further down, further down a path. Because they are building a level of comfort with you. They're saying, hey, I trust this person. This person isn't out to make me be more uncomfortable. This person isn't out to do anything damaging to me. They want to actually help me. And so meeting, I think that is top of the list. I'm always like, hey, let's level set here. You may not be ready to be at D. But let's start at A and let's see how A feels for you. And once we get past A, do you feel about moving to B? Let me tell you what B looks like, right? And so I just kind of, I think preparing people, this is a very, the space is continuously changing. And so I think showing people that there's that flexibility and change and learning um, really does help to guide people in a way that makes one, makes them feel comfortable because when they're comfortable, they're going to be able to make their own decisions and it becomes natural and innate for them, which is what I want. And I think once we do that, it really will help effect change. People are more likely to sign on board for whatever it is you're selling if they feel comfortable with you and they trust you. Totally agree. That's great advice, Amma. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure to chat with you about this. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're lucky to have you. Uh, We've been speaking with Amma Fofi, the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Emory's Koisweta Business School. This episode is on DEI leaders, how they are making a difference in graduate management education. This podcast is brought to you by the Graduate Management Admission Council. GMAC is an advocate working in partnership with the greater community to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion in graduate management education. Our vision is a world where every talented person can discover and benefit from the best business education for them. Learn more at MBA.com. And this is John Byrne with Parts of Quants. Thanks for listening.